tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy and telling, he made all the darkness depart. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away. And my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Now I've a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time. I have a future in heaven for sure. There in those mansions sublime. And it's because of that wonderful day When at the cross I believe Riches eternal and blessings From His precious hand I receive Heaven came down and glory filled my soul When at the cross the Savior made me whole my sins were washed away, and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. Amen. Please be seated. Morning, church. Got a good crowd today. How's everybody doing? Just in case you didn't know, I always like the last Sunday of the month because our Hispanic brothers and sisters join us, and uh, so they're with us today. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you about something we're starting this year. The the last is it the la always the last Sunday that we're going to do the combined deal. The last Sunday of the month, we're going to have combined classes. So we've got folks. I believe it's uh, room 14 is meeting over here today. Rodney's going to be teaching. Juan's going to be translating. So once a month, we're promoting um, some, what's that word called? Fellowship. Thanks. <clears throat> and I wanted, you, I wanted you to know that you can come into the Hispanic class anytime you want to. You may not understand what they're saying because... If you think I talk fast, Juan really talks fast. But seriously, if you want to come join the class that meets in here, we want to encourage you to do that. But the last Sunday of each month, um, we've got different classes and different teachers that are going to come over. And you're welcome to come in, um, during those times, but any time as well. You need to be here next Sunday because God's going to do something great. Not that God doesn't do something great every other day of the week and any other time, but next week is our carrying and sharing debt challenge. And so we've challenged you. We owe $75,000 on the building where our carrying and sharing operates. We had a handout last week. There's still some out in the foyer, and 
They spend about $800 a month that goes to rent, and we'd rather that $800 a month go to helping people out and providing assistance. So the best way to do that is to challenge you, and I think God's going to do something great. Our goal is to pay that off this year, but I don't think it's going to take all year. There's going to be four carrying and sharing dollar days, so next Sunday is a carrying and sharing dollar day. If you're not familiar with that, we provide additional assistance four times a year. We pass the plate. Um, You can put money in there if you want. That usually goes to about $5,000. So the first $5,000 next Sunday goes to provide assistance, and everything over that's going to the note. Wouldn't it be great if everything over that paid off the note next week? That would be awesome. So please be praying about that, and uh, I want to invite you next week because I believe God's going to do something great. So uh, pray about what you can do personally. Pray about what your business can do. Pray about what your lemonade stand or hot chocolate stand, your garage sale money. You can give in a lot of different ways. You can put jewelry in the plate. You can... I was serious. You can put whatever you want to in the plate. You know, the Bible says when the plate comes around, we're supposed to kind of crawl up in the plate ourselves. We're supposed to give ourselves to God. So next week, um, we're doing that. We're in a study of the book of Acts, and uh, we're 15 lessons in. I, I hope that's not dragging for you. I'm not in a hurry to get done, but we've probably got four or five more lessons. And this, this has been one of the best studies that I've ever had. At 55 years old, I've never been so excited about studying the Bible as I have been about the book of Acts. Because God's showing me some things, and I think God's showing us some things. So we're, we're in the book of Acts. If you're not familiar with um, the Bible, it's in the New Testament. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, there's what's called the Old Testament and New Testament. When you get to the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. So it's the fifth book in, and we're taking our series, Empowered to Witness, from chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, and He says, Listen, you're going to receive power. You're going to receive dunamis. You're going to receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be my witnesses. And that explosion of God on the scene is going to start in Jerusalem. And if you know anything about dynamite, it starts in one place, but then there's a ripple effect. So it starts in Jerusalem... And then that explosion of God on the scene goes to Judea and Samaria. And just this last week, we started what is called the first missionary journey in Acts 13. We're going to the ends of the earth. So this explosion is going out and it's going further. And God wants us to be witnesses. God wants to empower us to be witnesses. Do you realize that in one generation, the early Christians carried the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. In one generation, they went to the ends of the earth. In one generation, they covered all the civilized areas. How in the world could they do that? Well, there was an explosion. They were empowered. God sent the Holy Spirit to enable them to do that. God sent the Holy Spirit upon ordinary men and women, and they went everywhere. Ordinary men and women, and they went everywhere. Ordinary men and women, just like me and you. And God still wants to empower people today. The message of Acts still has the same powerful effect 
And we can, we can have that power. God says, I'm going to give you power. I've used this verse over and over. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power's like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. What, whatever power God used to say, Jesus, you need to come up out of that grave, God says, I'm going to give to Jesus' followers. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I don't fully understand what that means, but I feel confident that God wants to live with me each day. I feel confident that God wants me to live a victorious life. And so God is still looking for people to be witnesses. And you might be thinking, yeah, God doesn't want to use me. I mean, for me to witness, that's impossible. It, 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 that, it, it's, it's a mission impossible. Not to steal a line from the movie series, but you know, if you choose to accept this mission and you're thinking, yeah, I don't choose that. I, I don't feel confident. It's impossible for me to share Jesus. And yet we read in the Bible, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So with God, it's possible for you to be a witness. With God, it's possible for Him to fill you with His Spirit so that you can be a witness. That word witness... It appears about 30 times in the book of Acts. They were witnessing Christians. The early church were witnessing followers of Jesus. They went everywhere being witnesses. So that's what we're looking at in Acts. And we're in Acts 14. We're on our first missionary journey. So here's what's going on. I underlined some stuff that I want to highlight. But at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, and there's our word, and witnessing to the message, giving testimony to the message of the grace, of His grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. People of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and to stone them. They found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. So here's what's going on. They preach, and there's some people that refuse to believe. I underline that because I want you to know that in being a witness of Jesus, you do know there's going to be some people that refuse to believe. There's going to be some people that say thanks, but no thanks. There's going to be some people that don't want to hear the gospel. And they may even be the people who stir up dissension and poison the minds of people. Not only do they not want to listen and believe, but they don't want anybody else listening to believe. Now listen, these are God-fearing people who are refusing to believe this message. These are the Jews, these are God's chosen people, so that when Jesus comes, and the good news about Jesus comes, and they're preaching the good news about Jesus, not only are they refusing to believe, they don't want anybody else to believe. These are God's people refusing to believe. These aren't folks on the outside. These are God's chosen people saying, yeah, we're not going to listen to this message, to the point... We don't want anybody else listening to the message and we're going to stir up trouble and we're going to poison people's minds. Church people 
poisoning people's minds. Wow. I also underlined here that uh, the people of the city were divided. There was a there was a schism. They were the Greek word is schizo, from which we get the word schizo. They were divided. Some people sided with Paul and Barnabas, and some people sided with these Jews that are stirring up trouble. There's going to be people who stir up trouble. There's going to be people who receive. There's going to be people who reject. So again, these are, these are some of God's people that are rejecting the message. And there's a plot afoot. They're, they're so rejecting the message, they're going to go to the point that they're going to mistreat Paul and Barnabas. In fact, why don't we just kill them? These are God's chosen people who ought to be receiving the message. Why don't we just kill them? But not Paul and Barnabas. They're going to speak the word boldly. How? Why? Because they're empowered. They're empowered to be witnesses. And they want to tell people about Jesus. So let's keep reading. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in, in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him saw that he had faith to be healed and called him out. Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. You know, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John kind of encountered a guy who couldn't walk, who sat outside the temple. And here we have that situation again. And Paul calls him out. Paul's up there preaching and Paul calls him out. You ever had a preacher call you out? I used to know a guy that you don't dare fall asleep when he was preaching. He'd call you out. He'd call you out till you woke up. This guy was awake, and he was listening. And Paul called him out. Paul could see that he believed. Paul could see that he had faith, and he said, Stand up on your feet. And at that, the man stood up. Now, this is really important to this story, because as we're going to see, the people in the Lyconian area thought this was somebody else. Let me explain. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. I read this this week. I'd never read this before. I'd blown through this passage and, and I'd never seen this before. But several of the commentaries that I was reading said, you need to understand the setting here. Because there was legend that in Lystra that the gods had come down before in disguise. That Zeus and Hermes had come down before in disguise and nobody showed them hospitality and nobody welcomed them except for two peasants. And those two peasants received them. And because those two peasants received them, they made a temple into their house and and, and Zeus and Hermes wiped out the rest of the town. So when they do this miracle, these people think, hey, they're coming down again. We don't want to make the same mistake we made last time. So we need to honor these gods. They thought their gods had come down. Zeus and Hermes. Now, Paul's about to preach a lesson to these people. It's not a very long lesson. And here's what I want to say. I want to say what Paul said. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul... You ever noticed that before? The apostles. Have you ever noticed that Barnabas was an apostle? Barnabas and Paul heard of this. They tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd and said, Men, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? 
We too are only men human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless... Worthless... Worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, He let all nations go their own way, yet He has not left Himself without witness. God has not left Himself without witness. He's shown kindness by giving you rain, crops, food. He fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing them. Now, here's what I want to say. I want to spend a little time on this. Paul doesn't preach to them like he's been preaching to church-going folks. You don't hear about Abraham and Moses and David here because they don't believe in Abraham. They don't even know about Abraham, Moses, and David. They believe in Zeus and Hermes. So there's no sense in quoting Old Testament Scripture to these people because they don't know the history of God's people. They don't know the history of what God has done. And you can't preach the same message to everybody. So he hits them on their level. We're going to see this in Acts chapter 17. A phenomenal message where Paul goes to people on their level and preaches to them where they are. Because not everybody who comes to church knows the stories that church people know. And not everybody who, what, we have different backgrounds represented here today. And you know different Bible stories. Not everybody who walks into this building knows what we know. Nothing against who walks into this building and nothing against you here today. But we come from so many different backgrounds. And so knowing their background, believing in their God, Zeus and Hermes, Paul's thinking... Well, the first thing he's thinking, you know, they're, they're talking in a Lyconian language. Paul and Barnabas are like, what, what's going on? And when they figure out they want to worship Paul and Barnabas, they, they tear their clothes and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're just like you. And we worship a God who provides all these things for you. So he's going to hit them on their level, and he's going to explain to them on their level... Let me get to where I need to be. There's two things I really want you to see from Acts 14. And one is, we need to be sensitive to people who don't know what we know. There's people who walk in these doors that don't know why we do communion. There's people who walk in these doors and don't know why we pass the plate and people throw money in there. There's people who walk in these doors that don't know the stories that we know. And you can't always say, well, it's there in the Bible, because they may not read the Bible, or know the Bible, or believe in the Bible. You can't always assume that people are going to be receptive. You can't always assume people are going to understand what we understand. There's some people that feel out of place coming to church, and we kind of need to be sensitive to them. Just hold on a little bit. Let me illustrate it this way. I may have shared this with you before. Way back years ago in Oklahoma, the Federated Church needed a preacher one Sunday. I didn't know anything about the Federated Church. I still don't know about the Federated Church, but my high school Spanish teacher, C1, I took Spanish. My high school Spanish teacher told her husband, they attended there, said, hey, why don't we get Richie to come preach? So I asked the elders, I said, hey, can I go preach at the Federated Church? And the elder said, sure, go. So I go over to the Federated Church not knowing what they did, how they did. And to make matters worse, they stuck me on the stage the whole time. So I'm sitting right there with everybody staring at me. It was the most aerobic church I've ever seen. 
I didn't know whether to be standing, sitting, up, down, right. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. So I just followed the guy sitting by me. I felt so out of place. My point being, there might be people who come in here that feel so out of place because we're so used to using our language and our jargon and our stories, and they may not know any of that. And there might be people out in the community that you talk to that we just assume being in the Bible Belt, they know everything that we are fixing to tell them, and they may not. So maybe we need to be a little more sensitive to what's going on here. Maybe we need to be a little more creative in reaching people. You know, we mentioned last week that, you know, this is not your church. This is not my church. This is the Lord's church. And we exist to be a light to people and to show them Jesus. And we need to be creative in the ways we do that. And that may be offensive to you. But you know what? Whether we put videos up here that might be offensive to you. Years ago when we put screens up and had projectors, that was offensive to somebody. Years ago when somebody said, hey, let's do a VBS, that was offensive to somebody. Years ago when somebody said, hey, let's put a kitchen in the facility, That was offensive to somebody. Years ago when they said, hey, you know what? Worship would be so much better if we had air conditioning. That was offensive to some people. There's all kinds of things that we might do that might be offensive to you. But we're not doing it to be offensive to you. We're doing it to be sensitive to people who need to hear about Jesus. Listen. This doesn't end very well because they are so offended. Let me tell you why the Jewish people are offended. Not only do they not like the message, they don't like who the message is going to. They're so offended that the Gentiles are now entering the kingdom. And we're going to see that in in, in Acts 15. They're so offended because this is our church and we're God's chosen people and we don't want them, so we're going to protect what we have to the point that it doesn't have to do... Listen, folks. We should err on this side of being sinful. You understand what I'm saying? If what we're doing is not sinful then we ought to do everything we can to bring people in. If what we're doing is not sinful... Listen, folks, you got two choices. you really got two choices. I don't try to offend you, and I don't try to do things to offend you, but this isn't the church of your opinions and your preferences. So you've got two choices when we're doing things that are creative and people are coming. We had our highest attended year last year in 50 years. Our average was 471. Something's right. And if what we're doing is not sinful, but you're offended by that, you've got two choices. You can repent and get on board, or you can stand before God on Judgment Day and say, you know what, my opinions and preferences were way more important than preaching Jesus and bringing people in. I hope you choose choice one. Listen, folks, we're the church. I I really want you to see here that the church-going, God's chosen people don't want anybody else coming into the kingdom to the point that, 
Look what happens. Then some of the Jews came over and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul. And they left him for dead. We're so offended by your message, we're going to kill you. Now, if you're offended by the message today, then just start throwing the stones and I'll join Paul. I don't want to do anything sinful. I don't want to do anything just to irritate you. But I want to do whatever it takes and become all things to all men so that by all possible means we save some. So if that means we do some things differently, if that means Rodney doesn't always sing the songs that you want to sing, if that means we change the order of worship, if, if that means that whatever we're doing is not sinful and it's bringing people in, it should be okay. But it wasn't okay here. Because we're going to stone him and drag him outside the city and for all we know, he's dead. And for all the disciples know... He's dead, and they gathered around him. I, I don't know if they had a prayer circle. I, I don't know if they prayed him to life. I don't know if he wasn't all the way. I, you know, I don't know. But you can keep reading in Acts chapter 14, and you're going to see that Paul gets up, and he goes back into the city where the people stoned him. You talk about being empowered, and then he and Barnabas left for Derby, and you keep reading, and they keep preaching, and... Paul is bloodied and bruised and almost broken, but he keeps witnessing. And it says a large number of people become disciples, and Paul and Barnabas even return back to Lystra. And it says they, they encouraged the people and strengthened the people and said, you need to remain true to the faith, and it's going to be hard. And coming from someone who's bloodied and beaten and bruised, when he says, hey, this is going to be difficult... And then he says, you know what, we need some leaders. And they, they appoint, they confirm elders in, in every church. And then this first missionary journey, the way we call it, ends the same place it starts. It starts in Antioch and they go back to, it takes about a year. Acts 13 and 14 is about a year. They go back to Antioch and they said, hey, let us tell you everything God's doing. So there's two things I wanted to tell you. One is, we, we, we need to... Do whatever it takes to bring people in. This side of being sinful. You understand what I'm saying when I say that? I don't want to do anything sinful. But there may be some things we do that you find offensive. But guess what? The cross was offensive to some people. The other takeaway from this chapter... You know, these people thought their gods had come down. These people thought their gods had come to earth. They weren't that far off. We sang the song right before I got up here. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. I mean, God did come down and God did take the form of a human. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God did come down. Not Zeus, not Hermes. God did come down. And then we read in 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, that which we've heard and we've seen and we've looked at and we've touched, this we proclaim to you, the life appeared. God did come down in the form of Jesus. And they knew that. And they went everywhere preaching that. And they went everywhere preaching that 
Jesus died and he was in the grave. But the grave wasn't powerful enough to hold him because the power of God is more powerful than the grip of death. And God raised him up and they went everywhere preaching that message. And some people didn't like it. Some church people didn't like it. Again, we're going to see that next week in Acts 15. If you want to see God do some powerful things next week, come for the caring and sharing contribution. And you go home and read Acts 15 because we need Acts 15. Acts 15 isn't just for the church way back. We, we need Acts 15 today. Listen, folks. I better read this just to be safe. You know, this thing we call church isn't easy because there's people involved. And people have different opinions and preferences and everybody wants to do church a different way and sometimes people get divided and I'm sure you know churches split. Not just churches of Christ. Baptist churches split. Methodist churches split. Churches get so schizo. It's a Greek word, divided, that they split. And again, the tension is going to be so great next week that we need to have a conference, the Jerusalem conference. But the good news is that Jesus is not in the tomb. So let me wrap this up before I give you a quote that's going to be offensive to you. There's nothing I love more than the church. I love the church more than I love Kelly. I love God more than I love Kelly. Those things make me love Kelly more. There's nothing I want to do more than to stand before God when I die and say, I did everything I could to expand the kingdom instead of everything I did could to keep people from coming in the kingdom, which is what we're reading Listen, folks, we can't keep doing church the same way. I hope you know that. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm not saying that thinking any... There's nothing in my mind... If you're thinking, what's Richie got planned? There's nothing here right now. I'm empty. I'm going to give you a quote from N.T. Wright. You may not know who N.T. Wright is, but... He's phenomenal. There's people that will drive... There's people that will fly to sit at the feet of N.T. Wright. Man, he's solid. And N.T. Wright says there are two things you won't find much of in our ordinary day-by-day life. You won't find much in the way of persecution. And you won't find much in the way of signs and wonders. The lows have gone, but so have the highs. And as long as our churches are places where we struggle to sustain an hour or two of public worship per week with real life only minimally affected by it, we'll be like a bunch of vaguely religious cows in a field mooing on Sunday mornings and chewing the cud the rest of the time. But if we really worked at trying to be for our world what the apostles were for their Jewish world, if we really let God empower us, if we really let God change us, if we really let people see how God is changing us and changing this church, this building won't be big enough. Because the power of God through us as we witness and we share Jesus, if we really do what the apostles were doing, we will grow in numbers. And people 
will get offended. We offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. We just assume everybody knows about Jesus. We just kind of assume that everybody knows that we ought to have an invitation. But here's what we do at the end of our services. When we gather together, we say, hey, we're going to have an invitation. And if the Word of God has moved you today, or the songs that we've been singing, or the communion service, or, or something that somebody said has moved you in such a way that you feel like, hey, I need to respond That's what we call the invitation. When you respond to the invitation, you're not responding to the church of Christ. You're responding to Jesus. You're responding, giving Him, if you've never given Jesus your heart, if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you've never been baptized, we want to encourage you to do that while we sing this song. You don't have to do it today. You can do it any day of the week. You can do it any time. But we also offer the invitation that, you know, if something's heavy on your heart and you say, can I just get somebody to pray for me? Our elders, our shepherds go to the back and they'll pray for you. They're not perfect men, but they're the leaders of our congregation. They're shepherds. And they'll go into a private room and they'll pray with you and over you. Or if you've just got something on your heart that you feel like you've got to say, if you've got something you want to celebrate, if there's some good news in your life, if if God has done something great and you say, you know what, I just want to tell people what God has done in my life, you can come down front and we can share that with the congregation. We offer the invitation of Jesus today. If you need to respond to Jesus, please do so as we stand and sing. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come.